50 Minutes with VT's Dr. Kevin Barrett, right here, right now, on VT Radio. Let's go. With host Johnny Punish. And we're back on VT Radio with VT's Dr. Kevin Barrett, live from Wisconsin. Dr. Barrett, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you doing, Johnny? Fabulous. It's eight in the morning here in downtown Mexico, and I just woke up. So if my hair is a little messed up, don't mind me. Yeah, well, you know, there's a special word for messed up hair in Moroccan Arabic that I What's recently that? learned. I'm trying to brush up on my darija, and it's uh, it's uh, shakaka, which translates it's like shar is hair. You drop the right. r at the end of shar, and you add kaka, which is uh, which is a four letter <laughs> word for excrement. <laughs> <laughs> well. I hope I don't look that bad, but hey, you know, my wife thinks I'm handsome. That's all that counts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So yeah, let, let's, let's, let's put the topics on the table this morning. It's been a big week, actually. Uh, we've had a lot of stuff going on on VT in the back end, a lot of things happening. First of all, I want to say that, uh, thank you to Anwar, aka Fidel Shea. He just joined our membership. He says, uh, I am always in search of truth and in support of the struggle for justice. He's been uh, a fan of ours for decades, he said. So it's uh, amazing. And decades would be it because we're we're, uh, we're almost 20 years old. So, yeah, that's uh, thank you, Anwar, for supporting us. I really appreciate it. If you're Actually, out there, little, we're a little more than 20 years old, Johnny. I, I, are, I know are I we? am. Well, yeah. I know we are personally. Yeah. <laughs> I was referencing VT, of course. Yeah. But um, we really appreciate you VT readers out there. It seems like, uh, you know, you guys really like the show. We're getting It's getting more and more popular on YouTube on Rumble, uh, we're, we're getting popular on the Spotify. So I, I really do appreciate you guys listening. Uh, we do have wonderful guests. Last week we had uh, Helen Bus, Buch, I can't remember Bynitsky. the last name. He- Buninsky, yeah. By, Helen of Dis- yeah. Helen of Destroy, that's how I know her. So uh, yeah. she was on the show last week, and we had Kat McGuire, which is uh, your co-host, one of your co-hosts. Well, both of them are. Yeah, Helen, she was a regular co-host on False Flag Weekly News for a while, and now she's writing a book, and she's really busy, so she hasn't been able to come on so much. But yeah, both of them are False Flag Weekly News people. Yeah, incredible people, and uh, it was an incredible interview with uh, Dr. Alan Sobrowski last week as well. And he's, uh, he's another False Flag Weekly News guy, so you're stealing all yeah, my yeah. guests. Her host, uh, over there. No, <laughs> of course they 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 mention you always in uh, in loving respect. I mean, you're you're the key guy. You're like the uh, what's that word uh, when the, that brick in the middle of the uh, Roman uh, buildings where well, there's the keystone. The key, the key, the key, yeah, the keys. You're the keystone, my friend. Oh, well, thanks. <laughs> well, don't tell them that, or they might take me out. So the whole thing comes tumbling down. <laughs> Oh, no, no. Dr. Kevin Barrett's a nobody. Leave him alone. He's, he's all ours. Leave him alone. Okay, Dr. Barrett. So let's put topics on the table. We have uh, U.S. politics. The uh, judge rejected Trump's request for a mistrial in the rape thing with uh, E. Jean Carroll. So it looks like we're going to have live from the D.C. nursing home, President Joe Biden and maybe convicted rapist Donald Trump. What say you about that? I can't wait to not vote for either of them. <laughs> Nobody wants this, right? I mean, the American public does not want the nursing home debates, you know what I mean? Um, but here we are. The Democrats are going to give us Joe Biden and the Republicans are going to give us Donald Trump. It looks like there's no other choice. But um, you mentioned uh, RFK. I would, now, it's been a big week. He was on CNN this weekend. He got some MSN time. I, I noticed that with, uh, what's that guy's name? Um, oh, I can't remember his name, but it was on the weekend. Um, but anyway, you've been writing about RFK and I think you even met him before, right? Well, I no, I actually never met him in person. But I have worked okay. with some of his fairly close colleagues, including Zoe O'Toole of Children's Health Defense, who came on my show and did a fantastic interview promoting the book Turtles All the Way Down, which is the go-to book 
on the issue of vaccine safety. It's It came out of Israel. It's probably the best thing to come out of Israel other than Gilad Atzman. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of, of Israel, as you know, but that particular book uh, is brilliant. And so, yeah, turtles all the way down. Check it out. Anybody who reads that will quickly figure out that RFK Jr. is at the very least mostly right in his critique of big pharma and the reckless way that it's been pushing all kinds of injectable products on people uh, and, and turned that into a, a really a real uh, clear and present danger. And then alongside big pharma, of course, we have the bio war complex, which is probably what brought us the COVID vaccines. That is, those were Pentagon vaccines, 100% military and of course, the only person who's telling us anything close to the truth about that is RFK Jr. So it's it's great that this week he actually not only shot up in the polls from I think he was he was polling like around fifteen percent uh, or sixteen percent or whatever it was when he started. So of, among Biden voters, the people of the people who voted for Biden, uh, one, almost one out of six was ready to vote for RFK Jr. the second they heard his name. And then in one week, he shot up uh, to twenty percent plus. And the media coverage, which was initially extremely negative, now is just mostly negative. But there have been a couple of halfway decent pieces, and there's one really good one. And of all places, it appeared in Tablet, the leading Jewish magazine. It's by a guy named David Samuels, and it's great. I mean, he, he knows RFK Jr. from way back when, and it's a very in-depth piece with an interview, uh, a very honest conversation, including discussing uh, what really happened to RFK Jr. Now, I know Kat McGuire and maybe Alan Zabrowski would critique it by saying that, well, RFK Jr. is being too easy on the uh, Jewish lobby or what have you, you know, that he and David Samuels are not really, you know, arguing about Jewish interests and about the Israeli aspect of, you know, the, their contribution to some of these problems, including killing his father and his uncle, <laughs> which is a big problem, especially for him. But uh, and, and he's not going there talking about the obvious fact that, like, why would they frame a Palestinian, Palestinian patsy in the murder of RFK Sr.? I mean, come on. It's it's pretty obvious uh, who would have made that choice or what political forces would have made that choice. And, of course, RFK Jr. is never going to go there. Certainly not an interview with David Samuels for Tablet Magazine. But other than that kind of, you know, naturally, of course, they're going to avoid that. But it's it's a really good interview. And, you know, I come out of it actually liking David Samuels. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a Jewish guy. He's very, you know, he's pretty tribal, but he's not an idiot. <laughs> and, uh, so he wrote, he wrote a really, uh, really good in-depth depth piece of journalism. And this is the sort of thing that the whole media should be doing, but they're not. You know, we don't have an honest media anymore. 20, 30 years ago, you would have seen a lot more articles like this. So I highly, anyway, I highly recommend people should actually go and read it and see what they think. It's a tablet magazine by David Samuels on RFK Jr. Yeah, and, and I was thinking about the CNN interview. It was with a guy named Shmurkanish. I think I pronounced that right, Shmurkanish. Yeah, uh, and he, he he's was, always he got was a smirk on his face. Yeah, so, <laughs> something like that, yeah. And uh, so I was impressed that he got some MSN time because that's uh, you know, a rarity for an outsider, what I consider him an outsider, because they're not going to give him any space uh, in the Democratic Party. It doesn't look like he's going to get a fair debate with Joe Biden at all. Is that right? Uh, well, no, Biden's not going to debate. Uh, Biden's going to lock himself in his room in, his, in the nursing home and refuse to go to right. dinner with the other old folks and debate anybody. Right. I mean, so that's a complete shutout. So how does RFK actually get to the to the place? I mean, wh what does he have to do politically to get on the ballot? That's a good question. And I, I've heard some 
contradictory reports about, you know, where he's going to be on which ballots and so on and so forth. And people speculate about possible third party runs or they question whether he may have had to sign a pledge to support the eventual nominee, no matter who it is, no matter how badly they shaft him and stealing the nomination from him. So uh, um, I don't really know how, how well that's going to play. I would, I would hope he would be on the ballot, though. You know, I, I mean, there are primary elections in these states and he's got to raise some money and I bet he is going to raise some money. There are a lot of folks who are ready for something different from Biden, and they're not all Trump supporters. Right. I mean, so we have it's going to be a weird election in 2024. Nobody really wants Trump or Biden, but yet here they're being thrust upon us and we all feel helpless. Like, okay, wait, we want choices. We want to see choices and we're not going to have choices on the Democratic side. And it looks like Trump is obliterated. RFK Jr. is the choice. I mean, well, I know, but I mean, we're not we're not getting that right now. He's not. He's got a little bit on CNN, but according to the Democratic Party, they're just not going to let him on the ticket. They're not going to. They're not going to talk to him. They're not going to debate him. So you know, we're going to be shut out from this. It's really dis- dis- disconcerting, you know, from a democracy yeah. point of view. You know. Yeah, yeah, it is. Well, of course, we've had a pseudo democracy now for quite some time. It's really an oligarchy with a few democratic trappings that can occasionally make some kind of a difference, right? I mean, the people voting the way, you know, different differently from how they're being told to vote by the oligarchs or, you know, maybe supporting a different wing of the oligarch two-party monopoly or duopoly. Uh, so, yeah, the people can send a message and have a slight influence on policy through the vote. But mainly policy is set by extremely wealthy, uh, connected people. And that's why it's, you know, an oligarchy. And that's what we need to change. And that is what RFK Jr. is saying. He wants to bust up this corrupt combination of uh, state and corporate power, which is, you know, could be called corporatism, which was Mussolini's original definition of fascism. And that's where we're at now. And it's getting worse and worse with all the censorship and the regimentation and the driving people into lockstep on these various issues by terrorizing them, telling them that anybody who thinks differently is going to get people killed, you know, whether it's through COVID or through these other kinds of dissident positions that are being identified as contributing to, to, you know, offline violence, real world violence, you know, crime think causes real world violence. So we're turning into a totally totalitarian lockdown, uh, classically kind of fascist state with less and less room for free thinking and for the people to have any voice whatsoever. And it, I, I think RFK Deer actually gets that and is running against that. And so again, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just really happy to see somebody that has that kind of name recognition, that has that kind of polling numbers right off the bat, who's mounting a real challenge. And I, we should take this seriously. You know, you can't just say, well, the Democratic Party leadership can easily shut him down. Not if his popularity catches fire, they can't. You know, it's there. there is still that aspect where ultimately if a leader, especially a candidate with charisma, uh, is mobilizing the people, then at some point, the these structures, the party structure that is, is designed to keep a cap on any kind of genuinely people-supported candidate, you know, they put that in after the McGovern nomination went south back in '72, and they they put and then they put in all these super delegates that are appointed by the party leadership and by the oligarch billionaires who give the money that supports the party. So it's no longer a very democratic party with a small D. And they have all these barriers they put up to people like RFK Jr. and others. However that can't stop a candidate who catches fire. Now, it was his uncle, John F. Kennedy, uh, took on uh, the nuclear test ban project when it was supported by a minuscule minority of people. And he managed to push it through by uh, his eloquence and charisma. 
And that's the sort of thing, if RFK Jr., through eloquence and charisma and some luck, he'll need some luck, like you know, maybe some news will break about, oh, well, it turns out the COVID vaccines were not quite all that we thought they were and th- things like that. You know, you, you never know or the Ukraine war suddenly gets, you know, it becomes totally obvious that it's a, a complete boondoggle, these sorts of things. And, and a combination of that plus his uh, intelligence and charisma could lead him to catch fire and make create a situation where they can't stop him from getting the nomination. Now, of course, that's where in the past they've killed in or they brought in gunmen to kill Kennedys who do that sort of thing. But, you know, at some point, maybe the people will be awake enough to make that too dangerous. I don't know. Now, now it's been my experience, but I'm an independent voter myself personally and have been my whole life. I've never been a Democrat or a Republican. I I personally don't feel I need to uh, establish loyalties to one or the other. I prefer being independent. I prefer choosing. I prefer thinking. Let's just say that. So that's my position. So when I look at things, I see him hopefully objectively. And what I'm seeing on both sides of the aisle is that the common denominator for Americans is they're all frustrated. They're all frustrated with the system. So they're, they, on the right, they hate Biden. He's a evil guy. He's the devil. He's not the wrong Catholic. I mean, they'll make up all kinds of stuff just because they hate him. And then the left, they hate the, you know, what's going on on the right. You know, Donald Trump's this and blah, 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 that. But what I've noticed for both sides is that they're actually frustrated with the system and they seem unable to communicate that as a whole because they have to hate the other guy. But it really, what they really hate is the corruption, the corrupted system. On all sides, when we talk about President Biden or President Trump, what we're talking about, the way I see it is, you know, they're figureheads, right? They're they're on top of this machine, right? And they're representing something, some some think tank, some ideology or whatever's pushing them, whatever money's pushing them. But it's not the American people. I, I always get corrected when I say democracy. The VT readers always remind me that, uh, you know, America is based on a republic, not a democracy, right? So I get that all the time. But that's how I see it. Am I reading that wrong? Or do we have a corrupted system in general, or is it is it the right or the left? Yeah, no, it's it's again, as I said, it's an oligarchy. Uh, we're you know ruled by those extremely wealthy people and their networks. You know, the ones who want to take part in ruling us. That's how oligarchies work. Is you know a lot of people have money, and especially the ones who are sitting on a big enough pile of money that they don't have to work too hard at maintaining. Uh, who have you know unearned wealth, or especially some kind of unearned w- income stream coming in, those people then have the free time to engage in the social engineering and the other tasks of really r- ruling the society. And of course, the unearned wealth that gives these people the ability to devote themselves to ruling the society, it comes in the form of the uh, printing of money out of nothing. So the bankers and people in control of the banking system have that unearned wealth, that ability to print however much money they need. And of course, then they're in a position to buy up the media and control the mass mind and make the decisions uh, and basically rule the society. Likewise, the military industrial complex, which you know sells toilet seats for $10,000 a piece, gold-plated toilet seats and so on, everything's overpriced. If you work for a military industrial complex company, you're gonna make more than twice as much as somebody doing exactly the same job at a civilian company. And there's just so much corruption, so much free money floating around there. And then of course, there's the narcotics sector. And that was what the Afghan war was partly about. That is that there's trillion and a half to maybe in some, some estimates, multiple trillions of dollars of drug money floating around the world, just waiting to be grabbed. And it costs very little to produce these narcotics. 
and they compared to what they sell for. So that profit margin is essentially free money, just like the banksters printing money out of nothing or the military contractors grabbing tax money for nothing. So all these various kinds of people that get vast piles of money for nothing and, and the state of Israel gets tons of taxpayers money oh, for nothing, of course. It's so incredible. All, it's yeah. incredible, right? It's yeah, incredible. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so all of these forces, these oligarchs, are people in control of huge piles of wealth that they don't have to work for. So they use that wealth to rule the society. And that's, that's how oligarchy works. So it's neither a democracy nor a republic. The founders did cry to, they tried to create a republic uh, and a, a partially democratic republic. That was the original vision. And since then, there's been a move towards the rhetoric of democracy, but the reality of oligarchy. And the oligarchy has been cemented in power uh, over the past several decades and generations to the extent that, as I said, there's not much of a democratic contribution anymore. And the old republic is in tatters. We're an empire now. We're no longer a republic. So we're an oligarchical empire. And if we want to get back our democratic republic, we're going to have to overthrow the oligarchy. You know, when I was younger, uh, a long time ago, 40 years ago, I think it was, maybe 30, something like that, I was able to go to my local city council and argue in front of the city council about a zoning law, right? And uh, they actually voted on it and it passed. So my idea worked, my my presentation worked, and in my local community, there was a, a, a democracy, there was a, a representative that I could speak out and something could happen. But it seems like that's going, that's even going away. So we've lost the federal battle for democracy um, to the oligarchs, but it's even trickling down to the local counties and cities now where it's just getting controlled by the money. It's, it's a disaster, really. Uh, that's how I see it. I see it as a, a, a catastrophe. Um, how do you see that? No, I, yeah, I, I agree. You know, the Supreme Court made it clear that money can buy the political system with no obstacles. There's, it's now, quote unquote, unconstitutional uh, after Citizens United to put any obstacles in the path of the money power from completely buying up so-called democracy. So, yeah, we you know, we need a, a whole lot of really massive reforms to really change this. I don't have all that much hope that it's going to happen, to tell you the truth, but I do, of course, support always trying to do the right thing and take advantage of any opportunities to try to make things better and to set things moving in such a direction that is conceivable that these kinds of massive reforms could happen. That's one reason that I'm, you know, I'm very enthusiastic about RFK Jr. It's not that I really believe that the odds favor him becoming president and big positive changes happening, but the odds are not so absolutely prohibitive that it's not worth worrying about. Actually, this you know, it's, it's a kind of extraordinary situation when somebody polling those kinds of numbers with that kind of name recognition, that kind of history is in that kind of position. So, you know, just like with 9-11 Truth, I knew in 2004 that the odds that we could leverage 9-11 Truth to overthrow the neocons and push the U.S. back towards being a democratic republic uh, were pretty steep. But it was still worth a shot because they weren't zero. You know, the, like the, that kind of sloppy covert operation, which is what 9-11 was, had so many loose ends that... You know, anybody who looks at it seriously with an unbiased mind is going to figure it out. And so that did create a situation where there was a potential instability. And I think, I, you know, I think we in the truth movement did succeed in grossly destabilizing the system, but we didn't succeed in fully overturning the neocon element of the oligarchy, which is what it would have required. And so they're still in, you know, the neocons are still largely running the show. By the way, Ron Unz has a great series on the neocons. He just had a new installment published uh, this morning, uh, Monday morning, as Mm -hmm. we speak. Yeah. Uh, You know, I don't know if you remember, Kevin, uh, but a thousand years ago, you interviewed me about the 9-11 Truth rock song that I I wrote. Um, 
2009, I think it was, maybe it was 2008 or I don't know how long ago it was. It was, uh, you interviewed me and, uh, do you remember that? The 9-11 Truth Rock? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's That, that was a while ago, wasn't it? Long time ago. And that was on my yeah. show, yeah. Yeah, it was on your show. I, I I don't think it was called False Flag Weekly News. It was something else, right? It was called Truth Jihad, I think it was. Yeah, Truth Jihad Radio, yeah. Yeah, I still do yeah, that. Yeah, I still fact. have a radio show as well as a, a weekly news roundup. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that was my introduction to yourself, and that was the first time I talked to you, so that was uh, amazing. But uh, yeah, that 9-11 Truth movement, uh, I think we did rock the boat, to be honest. I think you know it was a combination of everybody participating in yelling and screaming. I even remember the uh, coach of the Seattle Seahawks saying 9-11 was an inside job. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pete uh, Carroll, right. He, Pete yeah, that, Carroll, and that right. was right when his team won the Super Bowl, too, so that was cool. yeah. 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 So we, there was a lot of attention brought to it, but nine eleven has died down now. It's almost like no one remembers it anymore. It's I guess it's twenty plus years ago, twenty two, I guess, and um, yeah, it, it, no one talks about it anymore. And well, it, it, you it's know, gone. It's, it, I wouldn't say that. It's just you have to kind of be paying attention to it to see it. I, I think that the illusion that no one talks about it is partly fostered by the censorship, like it used to be. Yeah that if you, before they put in the algorithms to hide anybody talking out of line, it used to be that if you just fed the term 9-11 into the YouTube search engine, you would get this long list of 9-11 truth videos because that's what everybody watched. If anybody was interested in 9-11, all they watched was 9-11 truth videos. So the algorithm knew that. And so anybody who just put 9-11 in the algorithm, what do they get? 9-11 truth. And of course, the powers that be looked at that and said, holy, what have we done? And they quickly uh, learned how to to you know to, to jimmy their algorithms and, and to hide yeah. those videos True. so so i actually, I actually yeah. typed in uh, on on youtube i typed in the search engine 9 11 truth johnny punish and nothing mm-hmm. came up I was like, oh, yeah, like my yeah. whole music video know. and song disappeared it's like it's not even searchable like come on man yeah you gotta go to yandex for that it's uh yeah. yandex the russian search engine doesn't hide that stuff uh but right. yeah, so 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 there is this illusion that always talking about 9-11 truth because it's been scrubbed from the internet by the internet oligarchs. But I think they're still talking about it. It's just that like if you're on Facebook, uh, they haven't completely eliminated it from Facebook. So if like me, you have almost 5,000 Facebook friends and a huge segment of them are 9-11 truthers, you're going to see constantly discussions about 9-11. It's happening all the time. And I would imagine that in terms of the videos about 9-11, the 9-11 truth videos are still getting watched more than the, the regular 9-11 videos. It's just that the search engines are hiding them. So all of this is being done to give us that impression that the issue has completely gone away. And unfortunately, it works to a certain extent, but not entirely. And if, if you're keeping an eye out on people talking about 9-11, as of course I am, you notice that it constantly, you know, somebody is talking about it who hadn't before, like Tucker Carlson, just not very long ago, a month or two ago, talked about building seven. He said, <coughs> he said, why shouldn't we ask questions about building seven? I agree said, with him. You know, yeah. Why you know, can't we? <laughs> right, right, right. So, I mean, that was a, because he, he was actually pretty hostile to the nine 11 truth movement 10, 15 years ago, but I think he's undergone a sort of a progressive, a, progressive in the sense of gradual, not in the sense of becoming a so-called progressive. He's gone, undergone this gradual awakening to the, you know, these red pill issues. And I'm pretty sure he now is uh, aware of some of these problems around 9-11. So, so when he said that, of course, you know, that, that should be pretty big news. And you would think that the mainstream might beat him up, you know, with this and say, oh no, Tucker Carlson's turning into a total conspiracy theorist. We've got to get rid of him. But instead they got rid of him 
using other excuses. They never mentioned that. Now, why is that? Probably because they just don't want to bring any attention to that 9-11 issue because it's such an open wound. Mm, incredible. Speaking of that, uh, I know we uh, lost Graham McQueen this week. Is that right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Case. Yeah, Allah Yohanbo. I, I hope to meet Graham in the, some kind of interfaith paradise where the Buddhists and the Muslims can hang out together, you know, si- sipping celestial wine and hanging out in good company with beautiful people yes. in a garden and all of that, you know, because he, Graham McQueen is, you know, he was, he was a really good person as well as a brilliant researcher. And he, he made two immense contributions to the truth movement. And one of them was his book, the, the 2001 anthrax deception, which covered that issue better than any other single source and proved to the satisfaction of any careful reader that the anthrax aspect of 9-11 anthrax is really the Achilles heel of the whole thing. That's the thread that if you pull on it, the whole thing just obviously unravels because they set anthrax up ahead of time, you know, with 9-11, the whole thing, 9-11 plus anthrax was designed to be blamed on a combination of Al Qaeda plus Saddam. And they did that with their black, their dark winter exercise, which ran uh, just three months before 9-11, there was an exercise that imagined a huge bioterror attack uh, using, well, first they tried smallpox, but then I think anthrax was then envisioned as one of the possibilities. And that this, then it turns out as they run the exercise, that first they thought it had to be just Al-Qaeda. They don't use that name. They just say, you know, bin Laden and the Afghan people or whatever. And, and then they say, oh, there had to be a state sponsor. So th- partway through this dark winter exercise, preparing for what became the anthrax attacks, right, modeling the very attacks that they la- launched, uh, they're going to blame this on Al-Qaeda plus Saddam Hussein. They're going to say, oh, this an- anthrax was weaponized in such a way it had to be Iraqi anthrax. So that scenario was run in June of 2001. And then... When 9-11 happened, uh, there was all sorts of, you know, they, they put the whole White House on uh, anti-anthrax medication that, like the, the day before 9-11 happened. And the FBI people in New York were talking about fears that the planes that crashed in the Trade Center were full of anthrax. So there was a whole anthrax scare with 9-11. And then during the run-up to the anthrax attacks, which became public at the beginning of October 2001, there was an endless drumbeat of neocon propaganda saying, uh, you know, they're going to hit us with anthrax. They're going to hit us with anthrax. And then on, on the very day of the mailing of the anthrax letters, the, uh, or no, I'm sorry, I think it was, it was, the, was it the, the very day of the reception of the anthrax letters by Tom Daschle and Patrick Leahy. So, of course, nobody knew that they had just received anthrax letters. Uh, the uh, congressional newspaper that covers Congress said, the, the screaming front page headline was Congress braces for anthrax attack. <laughs> so so they, that was published on the same day. I remember that, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Congress braces for anthrax attack. They braced them on the same day that the anthrax actually arrived, unbeknownst to anybody but the perpetrators. Uh, and on and on and on. And they, they sheep dipped the 9-11 perps in anthrax. That is, a couple of the hijackers were, uh, the story was floated that they were treated for black anthrax lesions uh, prior to the 9-11 attacks. And and so essentially what the, the, the takeaway from this is that it's absolutely clear that the neocon Zionists who did 9-11 organized it in order to blame Al-Qaeda plus Saddam for both events. But mm-hmm. they didn't control the government to the extent that they were able to force the government to 
come up to come up with some cockamamie way of blaming Iraq for 9/11. Like that was, you know, they. they yeah, that was fun. Yeah, Al Qaeda was was really dipped in 9/11, and so when 9/11 happened, there was, you know, you they were able to ignore, of course, all of the real evidence and try to blame Al-Qaeda. But there was just no way to really bring Iraq into it. Plus, everybody knows that Iraq hates Al-Qaeda and vice versa. And and so that was a problem. And then when they did the, the anthrax component, the follow-up, which was designed as a follow-up, the same people did it and so on, they then uh, essentially tried to blame Al-Qaeda plus Saddam for the anthrax. And all sorts of stuff was pumped into the mainstream media through all the neocon pipelines to do that. But it failed because, well, that anthrax, as the FBI quickly discovered, was made in America. It, they named the FBI named the investigation Amerithrax because this this was U.S. <laughs> weaponized anthrax, so it had nothing to do with either Al Qaeda or Saddam. And yet, the neocon propaganda machine kept hammering that that it was Al Qaeda plus Saddam, Al Qaeda plus Saddam. But they totally failed. They failed with to do that with 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 their nine eleven attack. It ended up only being blamed on Al Qaeda because it was too ridiculous to try to blame Saddam, even though they thought they could get away with it. And the same thing with the anthrax. They tried that was that way, and they couldn't even blame either Al Qaeda or Saddam. So the official position of the U.S. government ended up being that an American term warfare scientist was responsible for mailing super weaponized American anthrax to Tom Daschle and Patrick Leahy, who were, who were stalling on passing the Patriot Act, right after Dick Cheney had delivered a very serious threat to get past that Patriot Act by October 4th or else. And, uh, and right. Daschle and Leahy both stalled. And then the next thing you know, they've got this uh, anthrax in the mail causing Congress to be completely shut down. And all of Congress went into hiding. They weren't even supposed to wear their pins identifying themselves as congressmen. They were supposed to hide in their basements. So they terrorized Congress. And then when they reconvened Congress, of course, they frog marched Congress straight to the, the, the room where they all vote on it to pass the Patriot Act. So, I mean, this thing was not even subtle. And Graham McQueen did a great job in exposing this in his book, The 2001 Anthrax Deception. And uh, then the second thing, of course, he did, uh, the really big thing for 9-11 Truth, was that he became the leading expert on the eyewitness testimony of the explosions that were, you know, happening with the controlled demolition of the Trade Center and Building 7 the towers in building seven and i think he collected something like 156 specific eyewitness testimonies to these explosions from you know from network anchors and journalists from a lot of them from firefighters and other eyewitnesses to these uh to the explosive demolition of the world trade center so so those were the two areas where he became the top expert anthrax and the eyewitness testimony to uh, explosions and he did a fantastic job. He was very sober and careful and meticulous, but he was so mind boggled by what he found <laughs> that, yeah. and he was so honest about it that he's 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 great to listen to. So I just reposted the interview I did with him in 2014 when his anthrax awesome. came out. Well, let's have a, a, a early morning drink to Graham McQueen. Uh, bless him and hope uh, he's up there. Okay, in, yeah, in, great. In Graham, uh, we, we love you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right on. Hey, uh, I want to ask you a couple more questions. Uh, well, first of all. It just reminded me that isn't Guantanamo Bay still open? Yeah, believe it or not. What uh, the hell's that about? I mean, on Cuban soil, right? Of course. I mean, it's, well, it's still, so ridiculous, still, right? Yeah, they still have three taxi drivers there. Apparently, they're they're <laughs> trying to, you know, they don't want competition for the taxi market in Kabul, so they they're hanging on to those three drivers, hoping that'll drive up wages. What the hell is going on there? Seriously, <laughs> explain this to me, please. I, I I can't even fathom the ridiculousness of this whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay, so let's roll it back to 9-11 is a neocon Zionist coup d'etat. So these 
they take over the American government, hijack the U.S. military to try to destroy Israel's enemies in the, in the Middle East. And to do that, they have to create a fictitious enemy image in the mind of the American public. So they give us this radical Muslims did this horrible thing, you know, blaming the radical Muslims for the pyroclastic clouds chasing people down the streets of New York and incinerating or pulverizing uh, 3,000 people. This horrific event is used to terrorize the American people, brainwash them into hating Islam and Muslims. And it worked. And so that's why we had things like Abu Ghraib. We had this just horrific slaughter of a million and a half Iraqis, total of 30 million Muslims dead all over the world, according to the research of Dr. Gideon Palya. So this, this wave of mass murder against Muslims, because they're Muslims, was, was triggered by this mind control operation done by the neocon Zionists. That's basically what happened on 9-11. So as part of that hatred of Muslims, we had this roundup of taxi drivers in Kabul and other uh, suspicious characters, people that, you know, somebody didn't like, and so they turned them into the Americans. So these random people, I'll get, uh, and some of them were actually sort of religious people or people who had some kind of Islamic connection, but uh, most, almost all of them, you know, have absolutely nothing to do with any kind of, you know, guerrilla military pushback against empire or what have you. So they're almost all innocent. And so this huge number of all, all these people just get rounded up and shipped to Guantanamo, which the U.S. is occupying in Cuba. It's, it's actually supposed to belong to Cuba, but we stole it. We're not giving it back. And so they build right. this big prison there because they won't have to follow any rules there. They can do anything they want. So they build this horrible torture prison, mind control prison. They, uh, you know, they torture these people. They do all sorts of mind control experiments on them. And they kind of gradually start releasing some of them because it's so obvious that they're innocent. And then the ones that it's not quite that obvious, but it's still obvious. Then they release them and they release them. Now they're down to the last handful of taxi drivers and uh, God willing, they'll be released too. I want to ask you another question about the same issue. Um, you know, they said OBL is dead. You mentioned Osama bin Laden. Uh, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm a truth seeker. And uh, when they told me that uh, they dumped this body overboard out of respect for Islam, I almost laughed and fell off my chair. Yeah, um, that, that was you something. Know, like you would that. think that the most, the, the number one terrorist in the world, they would present him on TV and say, we caught him, here's his body or here's his whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, here's, here's the facts, here's yeah, the evidence. Yeah, you, you would think. But instead, we're left to uh, investigate all the sharks in the world and cut up their stomachs to see if we could find his body in their stomach. I mean, wh what the hell is that about? Yeah, right. Well, this is, we see this over and over and over, that rather than capture and interrogate these alleged operatives of terror, terrorist networks, they would rather kill them. Now, why, why would that be? I mean, if Osama bin Laden were really everything that they've told us he was, they would do whatever it took, even sacrificing American lives to get him alive so they could interrogate him. But of course, yeah. what, what, what or put really him on trial publicly, right? Like they did yeah. that uh, in, in World War II, right? You put the guys on trial, even if it's a sham mm -hmm. trial, but you know, you, you start accusing them. No, he just disappeared. We, I remember vividly, uh, 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 Barack Obama goes on TV, we caught Osama bin Laden. Thank you very much. And he turned his back and walked away. I'm like, whoa, whoa that, that's it? Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I think he, I mean, he, I think Obama kind of knew the score about all this stuff. You know, he acted and he did a pretty good job, a good acting job. But yeah, and then Hillary Clinton didn't do such a good acting job. Remember that photo where she's pretending to be watching this raid, uh, the SEAL Team 6 right. raid going after bin Laden, and she's right. going, but how you know shocking the whole thing is, yeah. and and it turned out that was right. just a photo op. They weren't actually watching anything, uh, so I mean yeah. they they just lie like they breathe. And Seymour Hirsch wrote a pretty good book showing that whatever happened with that raid 
on the compound in Abbottabad, Pakistan, it was not what they told us. You know, maybe they killed bin Laden's double, you know, maybe who knows what really happened there, but they lied in you know all sorts of ways about that. And then a whole lot of those guys went down in a helicopter crash later, uh, not very much later. And as you say, they, they threw bin Laden's body uh, into the ocean and said that that was in accordance with Islamic burial custom, which is pretty hilarious because Islamic burial custom, right. of course, is to wrap the person in a white sheet and put them in the ground ASAP. The ground, not the ocean. Right. Right. It's so ridiculous, right? But yet here we are. Uh, and that's what I want to bring this conversation to. Philosophically speaking, Kevin, here we are. We have China, basically a totalitarian state. Is it? Are we inevitably headed towards governments around the world that are more like that uh, because of the population size? Is that where we're going? Is that what America is happening in America? Or is there actually, is there any hope for a democracy in the world or a public? Philosophically speaking, is that is that where we're going? Well, you know, I, I recently, you know, I've had, had some radio shows where I, I got some pushback on the China issue where uh, I've been, you know, I, well, I've had different views expressed. Uh, I've had guests recently who argue that China is uh, everything we've been warned about and worse. And then I've had other guests who say, no, that's been grossly exaggerated. And frankly, I kind of lean a little bit towards that side. That is, there may be a tremendous amount of surveillance in China, and to some extent, a social credit system, although I'm told that if you go to China and you start asking people about the social credit system, nobody knows what, what you're talking about. But the, uh, I think that the, the portrayal of China as a sort of a gulag state where people live in terror of being surveilled and, and bossed around by the Communist Party and all of that is actually wrong. And it's you know demonstrably wrong. When you look at the polls, for example, there's polling data where independent Western pollsters who have a vested interest in making things look bad there go around asking people about, you know, how, how do you see the government there? How do you see the future? And what they find is that Chinese people are quite uh, positive about their government and uh, very uh, happy and hopeful about their future. And that stands in stark contrast to what polls show about Western societies, especially the United States. And if you look at the way that people interact with the government and with police in China, it's not really the totalitarian model of you know, kind of Orwellian or whatever the situation where the police are such a nefarious, uh, feared and loathed force. What you actually see in most cases is the police are much more humanized in China than they are, say, in the United States. And people routinely push back against police and argue with them. And when the, like, I recently saw some compilations of videos of this where, where the police are trying to, you know, enforce some form of public order and the people, you know, the people that they're telling to do this or that to are arguing, refusing to do it. Now in the United States, that might get you shot. In, uh, in China, apparently it doesn't and that there's a give and take. And, and, and I've seen this actually, it's not just China, that a lot of countries have police and uh, security figures who are much friendlier than the ones in the United States. For example, when I fly from the U.S. to Iran, I feel like I'm getting out of a gulag state. And when I arrive in Iran, I'm in a free country because in the U.S., the TSA people, some of them are okay, but they're all pretty tight ass, really, one way or another. 
and you know they they're going to pat you down they're going to grope you you know they're going to do the whole nine yards that buzzer goes off because of my hip replacements and, and they're going to treat me like Osama bin Laden pretty much. And they're all, you know, and I try to crack a joke with them or, you know, give them a 9-11 truth book or something. And yeah, yeah a certain percentage <laughs> yeah. of them, a certain percentage get it. They, a certain percentage agree okay. with me and, and they'll take the book and, and you know, high five me. But, but uh, that, that percentage has actually gone down a little bit. And anyway, but overall, the security in the United States is pretty authoritarian and unfriendly and potentially violent. It makes you feel like you're not living in a free country. You get to Iran and they're not going to grope you. You know, they're going to like apologize as they kind of do this desultory sort of, you know, brushing their fingertips against a little bit of your clothing. Okay, you're good. Right. And and they're going to be smiling and they're going to, you know, basically treat you like you're the one that's paying their salaries, which you are. Of course, the American police and security never do that. And so I, I think China is more like Iran in that respect, that it feels like a really you know, the, the, the government and the authority figures and the police and so on are much more humane and, and human. And you can argue with them and they will sometimes defer to you. And I'm told that if you have a problem with the government, you do stuff that they really find unacceptable. That somebody, you know, somebody sees, oh, this stuff you've been posting online, or you've been trying to arrange a meeting of people to do this or that thing that they don't like, a subversive political thing, a, an unapproved and potentially subversive religious thing or whatever, or, uh, or of course, you know, then there are criminal activities as well. So whatever you're doing that the government doesn't like, they, yeah, I mean, if you commit some really serious crime, sure, you just get arrested and stuff. But, but if it's one of these th things, you know, more of a, a speech issue or what have you, or organizing some kind of political religious thing, they take you aside and talk to you and reason with you and say, you know, we can't let you do this. Da, 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 da. And then they do it maybe another time. And at some point they say, well, if you, know, if you keep doing this, then, you know, it's, it's going to be on you. You're going to probably get locked up for a while. So, so the, the, the downside of, of the Chinese society, as far as I'm concerned, is really the surveillance. That it's not so much the, you know, it's, the, it's not like it's an authoritarian gulag. It's that everybody's always under surveillance. Unfortunately, that's also true here and everywhere else yes. these days. So, yes. so, you know, every keystroke is potentially being logged and monitored. The NSA is, is looking at us harder than anybody, harder than the CCP over in China. And, and they're putting up those cameras everywhere. Uh, so... Frankly, I don't know if China is any worse than anywhere else. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, in China, people should revolt and tear down all those cameras and make spying on people illegal and even make it punishable by death. I'm in favor of that there and I'm in favor of that here. But let's go ahead and enforce that here in the United States where we have a tradition of individual liberty first and then start criticizing China. You know, a question for you, um, philosophically speaking, a uh, hundred years ago, the United States and the world was a different place. A uh, hundred years from now, it's going to be a different place. But let me just ask you a philosophical question, a, a future question. If I if I come back and you and I came back a hundred years from now, what does the world look like? Uh, the United States, China. How do you see things? What what trends are we moving towards philosophically? Are we moving towards democracy? Moving towards totalitarianism? I mean, we're already at the surveillance state. Uh, obviously, we're going to have AI everywhere. Um, kind of project for me. If we did come back and we're a fly on that wall, and maybe we will come back, maybe we'll be cyborgs by then. Who knows? But kind of, kind of project that for me. Tell me where we're going to be. You know, I actually, honestly, uh, I have no idea. Um, it's the way I, I think we're in a, an in, unstable situation where 
things could spin off in any direction. It's like chaos theory that the butterfly's wings can, you know, cause a monsoon halfway around the world. And likewise, I think that it's that kind of situation where there are all sorts of potential uh, futures. And, you know, the, obviously the, there are these really obviously bad ones of, uh, of, you know, completely regimented society under the tutelage of a sort of an AI system that, you know, works for the benefit of really powerful people who kind of manage it. And then everybody else is just regimented by it. And that's the obvious problem, you know, the obvious nightmare scenario we don't want. And of course, then there are other nightmare scenarios of ecological catastrophe and uh, uh, nuclear and biological war, um, greatly reducing the population. Unfortunately, those, I think, are fairly, you know, plausible. Uh, what would be a good scenario well, that would be some kind of massive uh, religious and spiritual awakening. And I think that would have to happen through a return to tradition. But I, you know, Islam is obviously the religion that's best positioned for that. But whether that's a real possibility, and of course, you know, I don't think that everybody coming to the same traditional religion is really even what God wants, much less a practical possibility. Uh, so I think uh, you, we, what we would need is some kind of spiritual awakening in which people collectively woke up and recognized the value of, uh, of the great spiritual traditions that grew out of the axial age and then respect all of them, right? Practice one, respect them all. And that would have to be, in, there would have to be a, a kind of a, a mystical component that is people would have to be directly perceiving the reality of the spiritual world uh, that is these spiritual realities that are usually conveyed through symbolic and poetic language in these ancient traditions, you know, that that's all about helping people directly experience them. But, you know, in the past, only a tiny fraction of people have ever had the ability to experience them. And I think if we're going to have a future, we need uh, a widespread ability to experience the kinds of things that in the past, only the greatest mystics have experienced. You know, I, I always say this, uh, when Jesus was born 2000 years ago, uh, the population of the world, most experts say, was between 50 million and 100 million people. And then by 1830, at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, we actually hit 1 billion people. And 100 years ago, around 1920, the world hit 2 billion. And then when you and I were born, uh, I was born in 63. I think you were about the same year. Is that right? 63? Uh, 59, actually. 59. Okay. You're so older. you're a little older than me. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, there was about 3 billion people. But yet today we have 8 billion and you can see we, we point those on the graph. You can see it going, whoa, out of control, right? Now, recently we've had China have a little bit of a reduction in population. So there's a sign there that might be some self-regulation going on there. Um, but it seems like we're headed towards a, a, a world disaster. And I was just wondering with increased population, did we get 10 billion? Did we go to 12 billion? I know Africa is going to be uh, is still rising in population. Uh, do we have to have a, a central government that absolutely puts the clamp down on everybody, or can there be democracy? And I think that's the question that is not going to be for us to answer uh, unless we come back as a chat GPT hologram in an AI system where you know we're having this conversation 100 years from now, but we're not really there. You know what I mean? So we might be fake, the fake Dr. Kevin Barrett, the fake Johnny Punish, you know? So I don't know where this is going, but it's going to be incredible for the for the young kids to uh, create their future. Um, I would love to see that. I'd love to see what happened to us, you know? 
yeah, I'm I'm totally mystified by you know what things are going to yeah. be like in in even twenty or thirty years, much less a uh, hundred or two hundred. Yeah, or maybe even a year from now, because uh, Chat GPT is taking over. I mean, one of the things I discussed earlier was uh, on a different podcast was, uh, you know, how are we going to keep VT pristine? I mean, how are we going to make sure that the articles are written by Dr. Kevin Barrett and 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 Jonas Alexis and et cetera, et cetera, as opposed to some computer generated articles? You know what I mean? Well, so, uh, we, so far, the computer articles I've seen are, yeah, they're they're kind of good boilerplate stuff for you know that like some totally unimaginative but very well informed uh drone could churn out but i haven't really seen uh anything very sparkling or uh you know anything showing any real intelligence frankly from any of these things but right you know who knows it, it's early yeah so we gotta be, yeah. we gotta be mindful of that and that's why i want to be protective of vt in the next five and ten years to make sure that we don't get slammed by this ridiculous AI thing that it becomes all fake for everybody because what VT is about is about being real. It's about seeking truth and getting real people to talk about it. You know what I mean? And I don't want this world to be some sort of drone world where we're just sitting all behind a a laptop somewhere watching fake everything. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm all in favor actually uh, banning AI. I mean, I I think there is enough of a, there's a strong argument that it's dangerous, that there's a chance that it could unleash a real catastrophe. And even if that doesn't happen, I think, as you say, that turning everything fake is is itself a catastrophe. That, I mean, these are basically lie machines. That is, they're posing as human beings. I think I've said this on the show before. I'll just briefly say yeah. it again, that, you know, just like when a robocaller tries to convince you they're human and they use fancier technology to make them sound more human. So you actually listen to their call a little bit longer before you hang up and discuss. Likewise, when a computer program tries to convince you that you're talking to a human, that's a basic lie before they've even said anything. Just the fact that they're posing as a human, trying to be like a human, trying to convince you that they're a human, that's a lie. So these are lie machines and they shouldn't even exist. I think we should outlaw them. I'll, I'll leave it on that note because that's another podcast to have next week, Dr. Kevin Barrett. Thank you again for appearing on VT Radio as always. Dr. Kevin Barrett, how can we reach you? What's happening for the future week? Uh, and, of course, how can people support you? Well, you can reach me at truthjihad at gmail.com. And you can support me with a, pay, a PayPal donation to that email address, truthjihad at gmail.com. Or you can join my Substack, drkevinbarrett.substack.com. And I'm trying to get rid of some books. I have a lot of extra copies of various books here. Uh, Here's my Questioning the War on Terror. And I have a a ton of uh, Truth Jihads. And uh, I have a bunch of Ron Unn's books, including his Biowar book here. Uh, Really important. You know, the equivalent of David Ray Griffin's books on 9-11. On on where COVID really came from. I've got a bunch of cool books. And anybody who joins my Substack as a result of this show, uh, and becomes a paid subscriber, I will happily send like an autographed copy of Truth Jihad, or you could request something else. So uh, you can just email me at, at uh, truthjihad at gmail.com, uh, and I'll tell you more about that offer. Absolutely. Kevin, again, thank you for a fantastic show. We'll talk to you next week. Okay. Thanks, Johnny. See you then. If you enjoyed this presentation, hit the like button now. Also, share it with your friends. And don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. VT approves this message.